Hi, friends. Hello, should I delete that, listeners? We still have some tickets left for our live tour and we would absolutely love to see you there. On Thursday, the 23rd of May, we will be performing in the London Islington Assembly Hall. On Monday, the 27th of May, we will be in Salford. On Tuesday, the 28th of May, we'll be in Glasgow. Sunday, the 2nd of June, Birmingham. Monday, the 3rd of June, Bristol. And Tuesday, the 4th of June in Southampton. You can get your tickets at aegpresents.co.uk or via the link in the show notes or our Instagram bios. Really hope we see you there. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Just popping in with a quick content warning ahead of this episode, just to let you know that we do speak about stalking, about coercive control, domestic abuse, and grooming. So listener caution is advised. This episode is in partnership with Gloucestershire Police, but we will be donating our fee to the Susie Lamplew Trust. Then he was ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing and texting and texting. Where are you? Where are you? I'm not telling you where I am. I'm fine. I'm safe. I'm okay. And yeah, this we sort of started appearing in the garden in the night. Hello and welcome back to Should I Delete That? I'm Alex Light. And I'm Em Clarkson. And we have a special episode for you today. This episode is in partnership with the Gloucestershire Police um, to support their stalking campaign. This is an episode that we were really keen to do, especially because Em has some personal experience with stalking that she's happy to share with us today. Look how formal we are. I know, that sounds so formal. It's like I'm interviewing you. I know, you. yeah, and, and cut. <laughs> Hi guys. So yeah, I have talked about this a little bit every now and then. Um, I actually don't like talking about it, which for me, like a professional oversharer is an odd one. But yes, when I was, uh, so I did, I didn't have a traditional experience of stalking. Um, and we talked to Maddie in a minute, a minute, a guest who had perhaps what you would think of as a much more like typical stalking situation. Yeah, like the rejected ex. Yeah, stalk, yeah, exactly. Um, and that actually does fit the brief for the sort of really important campaign that Gloucestershire Police are uh, doing at the moment about sort of stalking within relationships and the way that we view romance. And it's really important. And my experience was not actually particularly like that. It was quite unusual. I was catfished as the term, as the, as is now, but there wasn't a term for it then. It was like 10, 10 years ago, more, 12 years ago. And it was just, it was very fucking serious, okay? Like, I was catfished by somebody who managed to infiltrate my social media in a way that, thankfully, it's not so easy to do anymore. I mean, it maybe is easy in different ways, but at the time, it was through Facebook. And it went on for months and months. And luckily, my mum being, like, super savvy and, like, very much, you know, like, my mum my mom was watching the situation and took matters into her own hands. She mm. was watching me converse with this person who had told me that they were in the army and that they were from the Isle of Man and that they had gone to the same school as me which obviously 
it's like, well, this is just too good to be true in terms of like mm. coincidences. Um, if it's if it, if you think it's too good to be true, it probably it is. is. <laughs> yeah, there's a life lesson for you. Um, but my mom was watching this, and I was like 15, and she was, and she she actually, I mean, baller, contacted the army. I was like, through her involvement with Help Heroes, and she said, is, is there anyone by this name in the army? And they were like. Oh, <laughs> and then she contacted my school and got the same answer. And so she called the police, mm. and the police told her at the time, "Tell her to delete her Facebook; it'll be fine." A classic, mm. a classic. Yes, delete all that evidence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, that seems sensible. You've obviously got a highly volatile <laughs> and insane situation here. Yep. Just, just sweep it under the rug. Pretend mm. it hasn't happened. Thankfully, policing has moved on in that regard. Absolutely, as we will, as we will come to hear in this next episode. Yeah, that's why I'm. I was particularly so keen to do this episode because I think it's so important that the police are having this conversation. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah, anyway, so that was the initial thing. And then my mum was like, that seems like bad advice. I'm, we're going to do our own thing. So we contacted a private investigator who used my Facebook. They kind of took me out of it. Um, I stopped replying to stuff, which obviously when I was like 15, I was like, but how will I keep up with my friends? <laughs> um, and I had, oh, Al, it was fucking awful. I had to give my my login to my parents and they had to read every single message oh, I'd ever sent to God. this person who I thought was my friend oh, and gosh. I really trusted and so I'd like told them all about my life and then my parents had to read all these messages Fuck. and so That's did like brutal. I think the police had to well in time yeah the police had to and the oh. private investigator had to and they had to learn how to speak so that they sounded like me so that they could keep it going because obviously they didn't want to delete the evidence they thought they, they wanted to catch this yeah. thing and to be honest, I actually forget the timeline of everything and I kind of forget the details because I definitely have some trauma around this that <laughs> I plan on leaving unresolved. But I often have to ring my mum up whenever this does come up and be like, hey, what happened then? And then what happened? She's like, you were there. Um, <laughs> but no, my mum's amazing actually about it. Um, and we can definitely recognise some trauma. But anyway, the private investigator, I can't remember the exact timeline for it, but it was back in the day when you'd make a plan with someone on Facebook and they would write on your wall being like, yeah. hey, see you at this very specific location at this exact <laughs> yeah. time. Um, so my friend did that on my Facebook wall and I went to the exact location at the specific time, like a twat, and it turned out the person that was stalking me also went there at the same time. And I didn't know this, but I, I forget the timings. But anyway, I got a call from, I think it was my mom being like, you gotta go. You, you gotta go we've called the police Come like on. whatever and at some point the, the private investigator that we hired said this is just too big for me I think it's I don't want to do this you need to contact uh, what was an agency called CEOPS which was attached mm. to the government it was a child exploitation online protective protection services I think it's since been dissolved which is very sad which is again why I'm so passionate about this campaign because anything springing up is so important and I ended up under the care of CEOPS and then the police were back involved and I had some like funky guy who came to hang out with me at school um, <laughs> to keep me safe, which is just what you want when you want to be Sounds cool. Sounds dead cool. Yeah, <laughs> 15, I'm such a loser. Um, it, but it, we talk about this in the episode. You'd, I, I do feel still this burning sense of embarrassment that this happened to me. When I talk about it, I could cry oh, with it. Really? I just Yeah, I feel like such an idiot that I got into this position and it's, Actually, that's, I think that's one of the reasons I find this so hard to talk about it is you just feel it's like, 
just feel like such a muppet. <laughs> um, but you had, there was no way for you to know. How would you know? How, no, how would they know? And you were a kid. I was a kid, and Literally I have to. A kid. Yeah, I know I was, and I was being groomed. Like I was, I was being stalked. You know, it's yeah. not my fault. It's not my fault. It was this person's fault. And this was in the day, bef- the days before we had this awareness around catfishing and, and online harassment and grooming. Yeah. We didn't really know at that no. point. Um, and you know, by this point, they basically thought they were dealing with a paedophile ring. And mm. so I had to be called into my head teacher's office with the with the government people and we had to talk about it. And it was like, oh, oh my God. And then I had somebody come and teach me how to use Facebook effectively and safely. I was like, <laughs> I just want to be cool. Like all my friends, like, leave me alone. Um, oh, cringe. It's, and I'm using that language because like, it's my coping mechanism. Okay? I'm not actually <laughs> yeah. saying that being stalked is cringe. No, I just, no, I no. found it very difficult. Yeah. Um, and I still find it very difficult. I mean, you find everything difficult at that age. As, as <laughs> You're if... just saying like me in general. No, no, like one <laughs> finds everything difficult at that age. Never mind this situation. Yeah, that it was just oh, horrible. Just, yeah, I just, I was so embarrassed. That's the overriding thing. Yeah, so they thought it was a, a, a pedophile ring and it was taken very seriously, which is fab. And the IP address was tracked. And they eventually found this person and arrested them. Mm. And it turned out that it wasn't a... It was one woman Mm. in her early 20s who was obsessed with me. And he just wanted to be me. And that was probably the most embarrassing part of all of it. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm laughing because otherwise I just want to cry. Um, Because it was just fucking traumatising. And then it was like, oh, she's like a woman. And she's probably of no physical threat to you. I mean, no, that's like massively. I, I think just thinking it was going to be this huge like yeah, yeah, ring yeah. of paedophiles and then it was like one student. I was yeah. like, oh, okay. But no matter who it is, like that's still very threatening. This is something that I've learned as I've grown older. <laughs> but you were just a kid. I, so I, when I speak about this, I speak with it. I speak about it actually very uneloquently. Um, and I don't speak about it in the way that I should. I don't use the right language because I definitely revert to my 15-year-old self where I'm yeah. awkward and embarrassed about it. Well, that's where you left it. That is where I left it. And yeah. I, I literally parked it there. Mm. I wrote an email to all of my friends explaining what had happened. And I <sighs> never talked about it again. And nobody was allowed to bring it up. And I just couldn't ever speak about it until I got older, I got a platform. I found myself in a position of privilege and hopefully one that might be able to enforce some kind of change in the world around online safety. And I have been happy to talk about it since then. So I've spoken Mm. about it in schools and I've spoken about it publicly. I've spoken about it at a round table with the government. And I am happy to talk about it now because Mm. I actually want to show that stalking doesn't just look like romantic comedies. It doesn't, you know, like this campaign, it doesn't just look like angry exes. It doesn't just look like the sort of traditional pedophile view that we have of what it means to groom a child. And so, yeah, I like, I feel bad for laughing about it and saying that I'm cringe and embarrassed and all of that stuff. But I I gotta be real with you. I, uh, I'm uncomfortable talking about it because you just do feel, you just feel embarrassed. And that's something that is really important to end because for me, that's Mm. a sense of embarrassment that I notice that you feel when you've been sexually harassed because you feel like you were wearing the wrong thing or you, did something that something made you uncomfortable when you were drunk and you think, well, I shouldn't have got so drunk. It's it's the same thing. Yeah. It's victim blaming. And what I was told by the police originally, get off Facebook, was not the answer because mm. the first part, you're deleting evidence. But the second thing is, is that's victim blaming. And I was never yeah. going to just not ever exist online. That's not fair. It, it's not fair. You can't tell a 15-year-old girl. No. You can't hang out with all your friends forever. <laughs> it's just nuts. So, um, 
Yeah. That sounds very traumatic. It was coconut. I, I still oh, remember that Covent Garden day. And like, I know we're laughing about it, but I didn't go to Covent Garden for 10 years. Like I couldn't, I, I was so scared. I, I was so, and yeah, and still with this fucking feeling of well, embarrassment. I mean, that's like, terrifying. But isn't that nuts that, that as I'm getting this call, I'm like, oh, cringe. Like I'm hanging out with all my friends and I've got to go because I'm being stalked. <laughs> like, it's I think so... it's because you've left it there yeah. and haven't like poked or prodded at it since. I don't want to. That's like the overriding emotion that you remember from back then, which totally makes sense as a 15-year-old yeah, kid. 15. Totally makes sense. But yeah, I feel like some counselling at the time could have been Probably valuable. would have been a really good idea. Maybe. But I just was absolutely like, no, no we will never, never speak of this. <laughs> Pretend the last year and all that humiliating shit didn't happen. But it's not humiliating. Like, no. As a grown-up, I'm like, oh my God, like, like poor me. Like I want to go back and like there's some inner child work to do here. Like I want to go and give her a cuddle. Yeah. But I'm not going to, Alex. I don't want the okay, therapy. Okay. I just don't want to leave it. All right. I just want to <laughs> fucking leave it. Forget that it ever happened. Um, there's a very frantic manic energy coming from across the table at me. <laughs> I've been I've been in equal parts really anxious and really excited to do this episode. I don't like talking about it. I feel sick talking about it. The last time I did talk about it was at that government roundtable thing, and I left, and I just wanted to like sit and cry for like two hours. It's really weird. I don't feel like there's anything in my life. I'm very chill. Which could indicate some counselling now. I don't want Could be... Just leave it. Could be helpful. (laughs) Nah, it's fine. Um, But that's why I wanted to do this so badly. Yeah, and I think it's really good that you're talking about it. And I'm proud of you for talking about it. And I think it really... Yeah, it, it adds weight to this campaign as well and why we are so excited to be part of it and to be supporting it. And again, it overriding I feel embarrassed my mum was just so amazing and like I yeah. can't thank her enough like for what she uh, obviously you know she's my mum but yeah. she just she trusted every instinct and I think you'll re- mm. I, I hope you really enjoy this episode but I think it's something Maddie says it's something that everybody we speak to says it's just mm. trust your instincts and my mum trusted fuck knows I didn't have any but my mum could see what was happening and she had it and mm. she advocated for me the whole way through and because of that the situation ended mm. safely and and resolutely and this person is not in my life and I've been able to move on so I think this is a really important episode and that's the takeaway that's the main takeaway is just if something feels wrong Mm. for you or for a loved one trust your gut without further ado yes uh, we have Maddie here to speak to us that is not her real name um, but she is really bravely sharing her story of stalking with Mm. you and we hope you enjoy it and take something from it Maddie, hi. Hiya. Thank you so much for coming in today and joining us. We are super grateful for you coming to tell us your story about stalking. And we imagine that it can't be an easy thing by any means to tell it, um, but we really appreciate it. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> could we start at the beginning, please? Are you able to explain your experience from the beginning? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Well, yeah, obviously I found myself in a relationship with a challenging individual let's say Um, (laughs) and it was very uh very sort of intense with him from the word go lots of I loves you's and turning up at work and uh, all these sort of things love bombing right total love bombing oh so I thought wow like this guy's yeah seems great like he seems really interested in me he wants to talk to me about everything to Mm. do with my life and you know he's turning up to pick me up from work and at first I was thinking oh it's kind of different that this guy seems actually quite interested in me and my life and everything. And then very early on, there was a really horrible feeling in the pit of my stomach about everything. I was like, mm. sometimes I'd sort of 
wouldn't even know that he was going to be outside my workplace. And I'd walk out and be like, oh, hello, you're here. Uh, okay. And then there was lots of challenging of sort of, I saw that you put this on your Instagram story. Or there was a guy in the guy in the picture. Oh, Who really? was it? And I had to explain lots of things. How and soon into the relationship was that? Probably about a month, I would say. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and very early on, there was a very, I kind of knew mm. that there was certain things I could and couldn't do and mm. couldn't say. I was, I, used, I don't know, I sort of picked up a vibe of like, oh, well, I don't know if you're like that and I don't mm. know if that'll be okay. And he was, but it was so strange how I look back now and think, how the hell did I let myself get roped into yeah. all of that craziness? But yeah, he was just very good at what mm. he did and he was very good at sort of doing a lot of... I'm so wonderful. You're so lucky to have me. I've got all these other yeah. women that are so interested in me. And if you don't do all these one things for me, I can find another girl just like that. And for some reason, you, I was like, oh my God, like, yeah. <laughs> okay, I need yeah. to sort of try and, you know, Im be a good impress. girlfriend and yeah. impress him. And, you know, you, you feel a bit like, oh, I've got competition with this guy. I need to sort of, yeah. you know, keep him happy. So manipulative. So manipulative. And there was lots of... Um, I think there was one time I decided, because he was keeping me up late even before he moved in with me. Um, he'd ring until the early hours of the morning, so I started sort of missing work, being too tired to get up and this and that. So the one morning I woke up and thought, oh, I'm just so tired today, I can't go in. So I woke up and had a little bit of a lie-in and cancelled my shift and then went to see my friend and she's like, oh, I'm going to get my hair cut. You want to come with me? Yeah, cool. And he rang me up, where are you? I was like, well, actually, um." in my local town um oh, it was that was the end of the world how could you this is terrible you didn't tell me you weren't going into work today I was going to come and pick you up how awful you are for not informing me that you weren't going to be there and I was thinking well you know and yeah sort of, so I stood behind this hairdresser sort of like trying to hold back tears on this phone like oh my god <laughs> like, what did your friend say who you were with well she sort of like came out and was like you're all right and you just kind of for some crazy reason you feel I must hide this I must sort of yeah. go yeah I'm absolutely fine everything's fine you know because there's like an element of weird there's an embarrassment to it I think as well you, like being told off it's yeah because like... I think when you meet somebody you tell all your friends like oh I've met this great guy mm. he's great and then when he's not so great and your friends are like yeah. is everything okay you're sort of like you want to think oh I don't want to tell them that I've met this guy and he's actually not as great as I thought he was going to be. So you kind of go, yeah, 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 it's all fine, you know. Yeah. Just, you know, oh, oh nothing's wrong. Because you just don't want to, I don't know, you don't want to deal with that kind of embarrassment of saying to your, to saying to anybody, yeah. oh, I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> he's actually not so wonderful. What were the nighttime calls? Just, just, just stop talking. You, to stop you going out, do you think um, it was? He was very intent on making me very tired because um, as the relationship progressed, he would, well, when he lived with me, and that was during lockdown as well, which was awful, he would force me to stay awake. Um, and if I fell asleep, he'd make a noise or do something to sort of wake me up. So mm -hmm. it was just That's keeping like me... Yeah, it was like yeah. a... So I got, became quite groggy, to be fair. And just and then he ended up sort of taking me to the doctors and saying that I had lots of mental health problems and I was seeing things and hearing things and I was crazy so I ended up on lots of sort of medications that would make me very tired and then he wouldn't let me sleep when I was taking those so I was kind of a little bit like a walking zombie <laughs> sort oh of walking God. around like oh. so oh yeah. yeah no wonder 
I think that was a big part of a big part of how I guess how people like him operate. They mm. sort of try and take away some kind of of your mental stability a little yeah. bit because if you're very tired and run down, you're so easy to sort of just go. Yeah, just okay. amenable to yeah, it. Yeah, you just yeah. kind of go, yeah. okay, whatever. And the doctors just let him yeah, speak Yeah, he for sat you. in the room and so I've sort of been, that's kind of sort of why I'm very into sort of now what I'm doing with all of this and speaking because just to kind of get that recognition of sort of even with doctors and, and everyone has to go, be wary. <laughs> like if you've got somebody and there's somebody, they might seem like they're this caring, lovely person yeah. that's come in. It's like, I'm so worried about my partner, but yeah. sometimes <laughs> it's, yeah. um, yeah, it's always best to speak to somebody on their own. That's for yeah. sure. But, that's such good advice, actually. Mm. And was that all happening when you moved in with him? Uh, yeah, well, he moved in with me. Yeah. Okay. Um, but like this kind of stalking thing kind of happened as the relationship was going on as well. I can kind of say, obviously, the main stalking happened, obviously, after the relationship ended, but it was already kind of there. Um, or showing up at your work. And, yeah, well, yeah. he sort of had full access to my mobile phone as well. Um, it was right at the beginning. It was picked any reason. Um, and I'll, that's another sort of thing I'll always say, like, if they say find any reason to have access to your phone, just... Mm. Yeah, don't do it. Because <laughs> yeah. it was like he said, oh, I need to have access to play this thing or something or other. So at the mm. beginning, I thought, well, I've got nothing to hide. Yeah, of course, crack on, you know, set up this thing on my phone if you need to. And yeah. as soon as he had the passcode, that was it. I'd be asleep and he'd be just scrolling through every single thing that he could find on my phone. I think old conversations, even like going back to the beginnings of conversations from years ago on WhatsApp and all the rest of it to sort of pick out bits that he could find that were an issue and bring them up. I'd wake up every morning nervous thinking, oh my God, he's been, he'll have been up all night going through my phone. What's he going to found that's going to mm. have displeased him this time? Because so, he had full access to it. I couldn't really talk to friends or talk to family or search for anything online unless I was really clever about making sure that any history was hidden and... Yeah, emails or anything, really. There's a really sort of big element of dependency, especially with the sort of control that he was had, which is a a kind of a difficult thing, I guess, with the stalking, because when you've come out of that kind of relationship where there's so much control and dependency, it makes it so much harder when the relationship ends and the stalking starts because everyone sort of goes, well, why did you answer the phone? Or why did you do this? And why did you do that? But I was so dependent on him and his presence that even though I didn't want him there, when he would call, it'd be sort of a kind of still this sort of invisible pull to to answer or to kind of still talk because I'd become heavily dependent on mm. on him because that's what they do. He's just sort of kind of made my life a bubble that was just him and mm. that was it. Mm. Like just us together and it was always like, this is us together, we're a team and everybody else is, you know, against us. So... How did the relationship come to an end? It was a really long, drawn-out process. Okay. Um, because, obviously, he was not keen to... So it was surrender. your decision? It was my decision, yeah. I um, I think I saw, a, like, a memory come off it. Or my friend shared a picture that I was in from years before where we'd been out doing something. I think I looked at it and was like, I'm just so, so unhappy. Like, you know, that yeah. was me. And, like, now I'm not doing... Like, I'm so unhappy. So I think I just had this moment of, I can't... like. 
messaged her on Snapchat because I knew those messages would disappear. Yeah. And he was asleep at times. So I was like, right, I'm going to message her. So I just messaged her saying, I'm really unhappy. And she just packed it. I know. Really? <laughs> so like, and then she said, right, come and meet me. We'll have a coffee. Tell me what's going on. She picked me up. And then she's like, right, enough's enough. Got to get you out of that house. Doesn't matter if he's still in or what. I need to get you out of the house. So she got me out of the house. And we, I was at hers for quite a while. And... There was a refusal to leave, lots of, I'm going to kill myself, I'm going to do this, oh, do that. God. I can't, I was like, I can't leave everybody watching and why are you doing this? And oh, all those sorts of things. Like, So yeah, he sort of was doing that and eventually got him out and then he did unfortunately get back in. And I just ended up like being like, I'm being torn every which way here. I don't know what to do for the best. I just want to, I was like, I just want to have my old life back. Um, so completely broke down and he ended up obviously back in the house. And then that's when it was perfect boyfriend time, mm. I say. It was all of a sudden, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do the mm. other. And it was cleaning the house and looking after me, running me baths. Doing, and all of a sudden, all these perfect, wonderful things that had not been present throughout the entire relationship were all of a sudden all there. And it was mm. all, I'm going to book a holiday, I'm going to do this, we're going to do that. And you know, taking me out for dinner every night of the week, like, oh, what do you fancy tonight? We'll go here, we'll go there, we'll go everywhere. And I'm, I think because I was just so exhausted, I was just kind of like, yeah, okay. Yeah. And he was sort of very like, see, you know, your family don't understand. I'm the only one that does. Mm. And so that kind of went on for a little while. And then eventually, I think because my mum was being quite persistent with things mm. and she did actually get the police involved herself. That was when I just thought, oh, I don't want this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want this in my world. So I did sort of have to go for a little bit of turmoil of getting him back out of the house again. And then unfortunately that's when the uh, the stalking all sort of started kicking in there. Um, and yeah, this we sort of started appearing in the garden in the night. Um, Fucking yeah. hell. Yeah. <laughs> that was my that one response been, the one day. Yeah, uh, I bet. I, because... He was very insistent on me not having certain things on my physical appearance. And I'd had my nails done by my friend as a treat. And he called me on FaceTime. I was thinking, oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, was trying to hide desperately Your hands. my hands. And I fell asleep and I must have put them in shop. And the next minute I woke up and I could hear these stones at the back window, like, like tap, tap in. And I thought, Oh no. So I got up and I looked and he was in the garden. I was like, oh no. <laughs> and I was because straight away I was like, oh no. <laughs> what do I do about this? Um and of course he was like, Well, you've got to let me in now. I've come all the way here. I need to go to the toilet. At least let me go to the toilet before I go. Because I was like, you can't come in, you're not coming in. Yeah. At least let me use the toilet. You know, I've got to travel but all the way back home. You've got to let me use it. I'm like, okay. Next minute he was in and then I just want to talk. I just oh. and then she just say, because I was sort of sat at the top of my stairs going like that. Yeah. He said, I don't know why you sat on your hands. I already know what you've done. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> no you don't. Yeah. What you've done. <laughs> yeah. You've got your nails done. Mm, yeah, that was, that was a punishable offence. So, yeah, it was lots of that and any excuse. I had to do a lot of kind of, oh, let's just wait for everyone to die down. Yeah. And then... You know, we'll see how things work out. So you had to kind of let him know that you were on his team. Yes. Like, yeah. yeah. Look, my fa I know my family being a bit nuts, but we're going to... Yes, yeah. Like, we'll just ha wait this out and then... Need low profile at the moment. Yeah. Even though in my head I'm thinking, I need to get rid of this bloke. I'm kind of, I was thinking I was hopeful that, like, he'd just sort of... Tire of it. Start drifting back into his yeah. old life. I was just sort of thinking, like, 
if I can just keep it going for a little while and then just eventually go, I just don't think it's going to work. Like after mm. he sort of maybe sort of got tired, I was, I was hoping he'd get tired, <laughs> maybe yeah. sort of naively. Um, I started cutting him and I think that's where the problem started was I started to slowly try to cut him out of certain right. elements of my life. I blocked him on one thing and stayed at my friend's house for the night because we'd been out having a drink and that was also a no-no to be drinking anyway. Um, so she said, come and stay at mine. I don't want you going home on your own tonight. Like, you know, we've had a few drinks, go come with me. So I sort of stayed there. And she said, then he was ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing and texting and texting. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Tell me where you are. And I just go, I'm at friends. I'm not telling you what friend. And he was like, is it this friend? Is it that friend? Is it this friend? Is this oh friend? And I was like, I'm not telling you where I am. I'm fine. I'm safe. I'm okay. Because there was a lot of like, I'm worried about you. I'm so worried about you. Mm. You need to tell me where you are. I'm safe. I'm okay. I'm fine. <laughs> so he was doing this most of the morning the next day. And then I uh, said to my friends, oh, I've really got to go home now. I'm going to my other friends for Sunday dinner. So she said, yeah. She said, well, I'm going to, you're not walking home. <laughs> so I'm going to drive you home. We'll have a quick look around. Make so your sure, friends, like, knew. yeah, because yeah. I sort of told yeah. them like the whole relationship by this point. So she, she was obviously concerned. Yeah, so she said, "I'll just come with you. We'll have a little look around, have a scout about, make sure if it's a okay." Which we did. She had a quick scout around the house with me, and she was like, "Yeah, yeah, everything looks okay. It's all fine." She went upstairs, and I stayed downstairs. She was like, "No, everything looks fine. Nothing, nothing was disturbed. Mm. <laughs> nothing was disturbed." So we were all okay. That's cool. I went to shut the door because we sort of had to, we spoke because I was keeping my key in the front door because he still had the front door key. So I was keeping my one key in the front door so that I couldn't put a key yeah. in. So I was coming in from my back door. And uh, we said, we said, ta-da, no, the rest of it. She said, right, she said, if anything, you need anything, she'd just text me something like, can you grab me a bar of chocolate <laughs> or something like that. She said, you don't have to say anything mm. terrible, mm. should if, some, you know. I think she was wary <laughs> of certain things. So yeah. she said, just text me saying, oh, fancy some chocolate or something. So we sort of said this and she left and I went to lock my back door because I was obviously locking myself inside the house. Locked the back door and the window pane popped forward and I thought, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> I've never done that before. But luckily, my friend hadn't got in her car by this point. And so I sort of shouted out, moved away from the door, luckily, shouted out to her to sort of say, yeah, come back help. and have a look yeah. at this. Because <laughs> more just get yeah. her opinion to be like, what do you reckon of that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that shouldn't be doing that, should mm. it? And then as I sort of came away from the door, that's when the whole glass window just fell through. Wow. And then I noticed a key missing from another one of my doors because I had three doors to the house. A key was missing that would never been moved. So as soon as I saw that missing, I thought, it's in this house. Oh <laughs> I know, God. I know someone's in here because I never moved that key. So I ran upstairs, was looking sort of in sliding under every bed I could, whipping back shower curtains because I was like something. But you must have been terrified. Oh, yeah. I was, at this point, I was more sort of terrified, but kind of like really, really determined to be like, I know, I know something's not yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and then I ran into my bedroom and then whipped my bedroom wardrobe open and I looked in and he was just sat there in oh the wardrobe. My God. So, um, of course, I just freaked out and screamed. But yeah, it was um, pretty scary, to be fair. And that's when, because obviously my friend did say, you've got to ring the police now. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, because I was very insistent before, like, no, no, I just want to try and move on with my life. Yeah. And hopefully he'll go away. Yeah. But she was like, no, no, <laughs> enough is enough. This is... Yeah, this is deranged. This is not right. Yeah. <laughs> Did he try and explain away the situation at the time? He was worried about me. 
Oh my god! <laughs> That's what you do for people that you're worried about yeah. in their wardrobes. Yeah, he was like, he was like, well, I know your mental state isn't great, so I came into your house to make sure that you weren't hurting yourself. Oh my god! <laughs> so once your friend insisted that you called the police, what happened then? Um, to be fair, they were great. They came over, sort of took all the details down into you. He Had disappeared. He yeah, he'd run away. He disappeared. He'd ran away. Um, I think it was about it took about a week eventually for them to sort of. Get, get get him. Mm, wow. <laughs> I was I I went to obviously stay somewhere else during that time. Obviously he was arrested and put on bail for for the break in. And um obviously the conditions were not to contact me and, and so mm. forth. But of course that's when the the more sort of malicious kind of element mm. of the story came in because beforehand it had been he was always there. Like I said, appearing, ringing, sending gifts. That was a big, big one. Um, that's always a big one I've kind of said in most of the interviews as well of like this gift giving thing. Um, it's seen as such a romantic thing mm. when you break up with somebody and they send you a big bunch of flowers and yeah. it's supposed to be like this whole, oh, <laughs> yeah. how lovely. Look, how oh, he's really trying, sending you flowers and... Mm. Yeah, it's not. And I think I sort of said before, if, if a gift is turning up at your house and it's making you feel sick to your stomach, it's not a nice gift to be receiving it's because just, yeah, it's not a gift. It's not a gift. If you're thinking, I don't want this from this person, I don't even want to accept it because when you do, you then also feel kind of owing Indented. to them as well. Yeah. You feel a little bit like they'll sort of say to you, well, you accepted my flowers. You accepted mm. the presents that I was sending to you. Yeah, you, you. loved all the gifts. Yeah. You loved yeah. all the good stuff. You took all the attention and yeah. now you don't want me. So you sort of feel that as well and because I think that's just ingrained, unfortunately, into women. Yeah. To be, to be honest, to, to be, yeah. oh, well, I've given you this, I've done yeah. this, I've bought you things. So you must be sort of grateful and mm. loving towards me how could you not love me now it's <laughs> dream to have flowers yeah, yeah I've done all these wonderful yeah. things and then um obviously once he was then on bail that's when it was silent calls and no caller id and sort of lots of I think there was pretending to be other people um messages saying oh I'm so and so I'm his friend from school I'm ever so worried about him you know can you contact me to let me know that or even like to the extent of saying, oh, what's his sister's name? Can you let me know what it is so I can contact him? It, it, it was him the entire yeah. time. It was all yeah. just <laughs> any sort of means to sort of get into contact and, and so forth. But yeah, it was, yeah, silent calls. And then it kind of progressed from not saying anything to then it'd be no one talking, but a love song playing down the phone and whispers of like hello or I'm sorry and all this sort of thing until eventually I I did sort of just go what what do you want yeah. <laughs> like you know speak yeah. what do you want and then he'd talk and be like why have you done this so I'd end up in conversations but I think I was getting as well to the, the part where I was more angry and looking for answers mm. and being like why did you break into my house why have you done this why have you done mm. this and then I got there oh I didn't do that. I didn't mean, oh, you know, you made me worry. <laughs> so, it's your fault. Yeah, it's yeah, your fault. It's all yeah. your fault. And so, yeah. Um, Do you tell the police that those I was were coming telling in? every yeah. single time <laughs> that yeah. he was contacting. I was reporting it. Mm. Well, I was reporting to the police and to the stalking advocate that I had in the end, um, who was brilliant, absolutely amazing. Like, I just think every police force should be 
linked with these uh, stalking advocates because they're so invaluable. <laughs> like she was amazing the entire time. How does that work, stalking advocate? Um, yeah, she sort of just gets assigned to to you, to mm. your case. And they're kind of just, like she was just my voice as well mm. with everything. And it's very nice to have somebody that you feel is on your side irregardless. Mm. You know, you can talk to them, you can rant to them. Anytime you feel a little bit stupid because you've answered the phone to them or anything like that, you know, you can speak to them and they'll always be kind of like, it's not your fault. It's not you. It's not your fault. Don't feel bad. Don't feel guilty. They're sort of just there for any kind of sort of counselling, anything you sort of need. Like by the time that was like with myself, what I found was great because I was getting so tired because it was like having to report every tiny little thing mm. that was going on. It was getting to a point where I was like, I'm so exhausted bringing up this phone line and reporting all these little things. They'll do that for you. I'd text them and be like, this has happened now. This happened last night. And she's like, do you want me to do it? I'll do it for you. I'll report it for you. They are, yeah, they're so good for victims. Like, yeah. so good. What happened then with his sentencing, if you're able to tell us? Well, he was on remand for a very long time. Mm. Um, because, obviously, he continued contacting. So that was, well, you've, you've, you've broken your bail conditions. You, could, you, you continue right. to contact. So he was rearrested and put on remand. And there was lots of sort of issues sort of always going on. Like, I think he was sort of kept sacking his defence or something or other was happening all the time. So there was That's lots of... narcissism though, isn't it? Like, yes, no yeah. one's going to yeah. do it as well as I can. Mm-hmm. You know, I need the best. <laughs> so he was doing a lot of that, which kind of drew out the process for a while. And then whilst he was on remand, um, the contact from where he was in, in jail or prison, um, that started then. So because he had access to a phone. He was contacting you from prison? Yes, yeah. That seems like the first thing <laughs> the prison should stop him from yeah. doing. Yeah, um, he had my number sort of down on, it was under a sort of a code name that he put on his list of contacts. And I was reporting it every time it happened because the first time it happened, very luckily, my mother was actually there she was staying over. So I was just about to sort of settle down to sleep and you have that last sort of glance at your phone as you do. And then a call started coming through and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like, who's calling me at like half past 11 at night? Because yeah. I, I didn't recognise, I thought, this can't be like some company asking me for money at this time of night, surely. Yeah. So I did sort of answer like, hello. <laughs> Very kind of like, hello. And it was like this crying sort of came for it and I was oh like oh my god I thought oh, what the hell and then it hung up and then it rang again and I sort of was like hello and it was just like crying and wailing down the phone so I quickly ran up the stairs to my mum and like because my mum didn't know what the hell yeah. she was like what are you talking about I came running into my bedroom where she was staying and I sort of ran in and was like he's calling me he's calling me she's like who's calling you yeah. <laughs> like, what are you talking about um yeah, she's like, who? 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 And I was like, he, he is. He's calling me. Because she was going, well, he can't be. He's in prison. He can't you know, be. Yeah. He can't be calling you. I was like, no, he is. I think she generally at one point was looking at you thinking, she's lost it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are, you, are you sure? And then it rang again. So we sat on the edge of my bed and it rang again. She was like, answer it. Like, let I me mean, just hear. Yeah. So I answered it and. It was the same crying and going, I'm sorry. God. And because we didn't recognise the number and it looked like a sort of landline number, 
So, of course, my mum just freaked out. Thought, like, he must be out. Yeah. He's got to be yeah. out. You know, he can't be in because... How could this be happening? And so she obviously freaked out, thinking, oh, my God, he's going to be standing at the back window looking for the window or something. So she obviously instantly called the police. So we all sort of sat there and the police turned up and we were told, eventually, like, no, no, it's it's coming from jail. Um, that is just <laughs> yeah. nuts. Unbelievable. Yeah. And it continued for a little while because I was very sort of getting lots of conflicting advice of like, just block block it, block the mm. number. But then I was getting told, mm, don't block it because... Evidence. Evidence as well. And also, let's not antagonise him further because blocking, unfortunately, <sighs> it seems like the best bit of advice to block if you don't yeah. want to receive calls from someone. But unfortunately, it does antagonise mm. further mm. issues because... Like I've discovered, the the more contact and the more access you take away, the more agitated they become. And that's when they then take it to the next level. Yeah. Because the more they, well, the more he lost control, that's when he ended up hiding my wardrobe. So I was thinking, well, I don't want to block it because I knew as well that he had... He always had a little gaggle of girls that was his little fan club. So I was thinking, I don't want someone turning up at my house mm-hmm. that he's convinced needs to come and do something to me or yeah. something. I don't know, because I think I, my head was just going through every single little thing. Of like course. As it would. Yeah, like yeah. every possibility. I'm like, oh my you, God, like, I don't know what to do. You've been through so much at that yeah, point. So, um, How long did he get in prison? Uh, three years. That's good. It's good, yeah. Um, he was arrested after the break-in because he broke his bail conditions then sort of three months into remand he started calls from the prison which kept him in for longer because obviously the trial kept then had to be rejigged and all this and that and and so he was still in for a little while and then it was around September he had a hearing they said right okay we'll give you bail conditions you can come out until the trial which would have been the December and I think it was the Friday he was released on the Sunday morning. I woke up and I think I just thought, mm. kids weren't there. And I thought, mm, I'll watch a bit of something on Netflix. Well, you know, it's a Sunday. I've got nothing really much else to do with my time. I can't be able to get out of bed right now. <laughs> so I sort of went on to Netflix and I looked and I thought, that's so weird. The characters on the profiles, two of them are changed. They've been changed into different characters. And then I looked and I was like, those are characters that were from his favourite films. Like, he was very into sort of cartoony sort of films. I was like, mm, that's weird. So, because it was a guest one that had been changed. Because I, I just picked it up. I was like, that's that's weird. So I went on there and I clicked on the guest profile and then there had been like films that had been watched sort of like 20 minutes worth of like different love films. And one of the films that we'd watched sort of very early on in days in our relationship had been watched so I just kind of knew straight away. I was like, well, yeah, he's, in he's in my Netflix. So then I went over to my account and he'd added sort of PS, I love you, the notebook, all this and that oh, onto yeah. my, my list. Like, oh my <laughs> God. After he'd been in prison. This was after he'd been in prison. This He'd been released oh on God. bail. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, he'd been doing all of that. And so, of course, I just automatically rang the police. Yeah. Um, and then went onto my emails, changed my Netflix passwords and everything else because I hadn't even thought about the fact that no. obviously whilst he was still living with me, he'd connected his place to my, yeah. to my telly and you connect your Netflix and everything through those, don't you? And I 
not even thought to myself in a million years, like, oh, I must make sure I change my Netflix. Yeah, <laughs> why would you? Yeah. yeah. And so then I had to obviously change my Netflix password and I kept getting emails like saying, oh, you know, you know, had a password reactivation request. And I think it was for that one, Disney Plus and um, my Spotify account because... He'd access that very early on when I was trying to break up with him because that one did annoy me because I was trying to listen to music and he kept skipping the songs that I was listening to. Oh my god! And I was like, Stop oh, skipping oh, my music. Oh, <laughs> um, like annoying, but also like psychotic. Yeah, <laughs> literally infiltrating every part of your life. Yes, yeah. And it was strange because even though it was just something as simple as my Netflix account, it was so weird to sort of think. And I felt really, really violated, and I it was I was trying to explain it to someone. I was like that's your private life when you go home and you sit and watch what you want to watch on the telly it's like imagine having somebody stood over the back of your sofa watching what you were watching yeah. on your in your private time when you're watching like whatever film yeah. do you want to watch for series and I was like I don't want him knowing and what series I've been watching yeah. Yeah. I, was like, I don't want him knowing those parts of my life like this is this is my world when you go home you close your curtains and you put a film on that's yeah. your that's your life, like the sanctuary, yeah. haven. Yeah. <laughs> so I was what a little bit. What did the police say? They obviously had to question him, so they sort of took the details, of everything that had been going on, went to go to his place to question him, and again he disappeared. <laughs> so because he was supposed to have been tagged, but he'd never arranged to get the tag sorted out to get somebody to come over, and because it needs to be all plugged in like to your house and stuff so he didn't arrange for that to happen um and I was actually at work um <laughs> they rang me to say like yeah we've gone to question him but he's not here and I was like oh well can't you find him with the tag oh no he's not got one on I was like fabulous so I was like okay so it was kind of like yeah we'd prefer you not to be at home right now can you get your kids take him out and so again it was like I had to I, I remember I did break down in tears at work so I was like I just can't do this anymore like it's just like too much so again that was quickly rushing home getting clothes making sure the kid's dad dropped him off at my sister's house and mm. having to spend another night on somebody's sofa <laughs> because they yeah he he disappeared for a little while and yeah and then he was back in <laughs> so he took about a week of his bail and he was in oh, again. Back prison again yeah 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 good <laughs> yes yeah. yeah yeah I said I can't I cannot fault the police like, yeah. I don't know how hard it is to sort of, especially when yeah. people are so vindictive like he is, because there's so many tiny little things to report and have to like, they have to go for it. Because like, it was, I think when it's tiny little things, you don't think at the time, is it worth reporting it? Mm. Like I've had a funny view on my Instagram story. Should I report that? Yeah. Will they think yeah. I'm being overdramatic? Will they think I'm crazy? Yeah. So I think that's, sort of how when when someone is stalking someone that's how they work as well because it's yeah it, it it seems like a tiny little thing and if you said that just that one thing to somebody they'd be like come on are you really worried about yeah you've had one phone call from the guy like come on but then it's a phone call then it's an instagram view then it's a, a gift then it's this yeah. then it's that and it, it's and every tiny call and every tiny little thing seems you feel like you're being overdramatic and crazy but <laughs> it builds up and it builds yeah, up and cumulative effect yeah it's yeah. like and it's like you said it's just feels like it's you're this person is just yeah. in your life constantly so yeah my that's would be my biggest piece of advice to anybody is like don't ever think that because it's something that's 
min- seems minuscule to somebody else, it's yeah. not if it's bothering you. Trust your gut. Yeah, if yeah. it makes you think, <laughs> don't like yeah. it, it's really bothering me. Yeah. Yeah, don't ever hesitate. <laughs> so did contact finally cease then when he went into prison for the second time? Yes. Okay. Hopefully. <laughs> I'm, I'm, Touch I'm staying hopeful. Yeah. He's still in prison now? No, no. Oh. Yeah. Um, he, so he's just come out of prison? Um, It will have been a year now. Oh, wow. So, oh, okay. And he hasn't yeah. contacted you since he... No. Yeah. And there is a restraining order. There is, yeah. 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 Ten years. <laughs> so, okay. Which is a good, which is very, um, yeah. How it's do you very feel? strict. Yeah. Just, I always just say quietly positive, <laughs> yeah. to be yeah. fair. Um, I know I cannot spend the rest of my life looking over my shoulder. No. Because that's him winning then, really. Yeah. And I had a lot of attitudes of like, oh, why are you still talking about it? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing the other? And I'm... I'm sort of very kind of thinking, well, I'm not going to not talk about it or be quiet about it because but if everyone just stays quiet about these things and the people that do it are winning because, yeah. you know, if we don't talk about it and we don't, it, it's still keeping that, oh, that's a thing that must be kept secret. We don't talk about, yeah, we don't yeah. talk about domestic abuse or coercive control or stalking. That's a, mm. Mm, it's a dodgy subject. Um, and yeah, that, and that's how the people that, do it work because they rely on the victims not talking about it and you know if victims don't talk to one another or or talk about how it happened then future victims might not recognize yeah what's going on so I also think like you must be really proud of yourself for talking about it yeah yeah it's something to not be embarrassed about yeah because somebody did I think someone said oh you know you're not embarrassed and I was like why should I be embarrassed I didn't do it no no (laughs) I didn't do anything he was the one doing it not me yeah so and that's again why I sort of try to kind of say as well especially if it's come from a situation where there's been elements of control and, and so forth as well because it's so difficult and you do feel ashamed and embarrassed and you feel ashamed and embarrassed like well I did answer or I did I did mm. speak to them or I was nice to them that one time and mm. oh and yeah, it's yeah, it's nothing to be embarrassed about or shit. Like so no, it's not you, you. on the contrary you should be really proud of mm. yourself for speaking so much so Super openly proud. about this. Thank, Thank you, you Maddie. So much, Maddie. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Next up, we're speaking to Sophie Jarrett, who is the County Domestic Abuse and Sexual Violence Strategic Coordinator for the Gloucestershire Police. Hi, thank you so much for coming to talk to us. We have just heard from Maddie about her experience of stalking. And on the back of that, we're now going to talk to you a little bit about Gloucestershire Police's campaign to tackle stalking. Um, And it would be great to hear, if we can, a little bit about that initiative, what it involves, what it looks like. So the the campaign, the idea behind it essentially has been to... 
kind of focus on romantic comedy and the, and the tropes that come with romantic comedies. So looking at how in the majority of romantic comedies that exist, um, the premise behind them is that quite often somebody says no and you keep pursuing them and you do lots of things that are perceived as romantic um, and that actually no tends to mean just try a bit harder. Um, and actually what that's demonstrating is quite often really harmful behaviour um, that is that is stalking in, in its essence. Um, but obviously within the kind of romantic comedy sort of phase, um, it very much portrays it as very much romantic, very normal, a part of normal romantic pursuit. And that's, that's to be expected. Yeah. Um, so what we've tried to do with the campaign and with the video in particular is present it as a, as a trailer for a romantic comedy. But actually, rather than presenting it as a positive romantic behaviour, um, we're very mm. much showing that it's it's problematic in its nature um, and really highlighting actually a lot of the things that, that Maddie will have told you about in terms of her experience. So that kind of turning up at somebody's workplace, giving them gifts, all of those sorts of things that tend to happen in romantic comedies and seen as a positive, actually flipping it on its head and yeah. really demonstrating why it is problematic. As you're saying that, I'm sure I can like see Matthew McConaughey waiting in the car park <laughs> yeah. like, for his bow to finish work. Yeah. yeah, that's a complete challenge to, I guess, like, I mean, to just to go all the way back, like it's a lot of like what women are taught about what we should want in a partner. Exactly. And I think that's the problem with a lot of romantic films. It completely normalises that behaviour. And unfortunately then when it happens to people in real life, if you if it's perceived in society as being quite normal, it's really difficult yeah. then to articulate when it becomes problematic and when you're scared, mm. um, which is exactly what Maddie would have been explaining to you that you know it can be seen as something that people might be embarrassed to talk about and maybe friends and family don't always understand why you find it problematic but the very nature of stalking is that that behavior is unwanted and there mm. will be scenarios of course when somebody is giving you flowers and they are pursuing you but if you want the attention from that person then mm. it, it could be romantic and I think that's why it's sometimes really difficult to identify when it is stalking because mm, there yeah. might be some scenarios where you're getting that attention from somebody who you actually want it from where it could be a positive. Yeah. But as soon as it's from somebody where you've made it clear that you don't want that attention, then it's problematic and then it is stalking. So it's that's part of the reason why it's so difficult to sometimes identify it mm. until it reaches quite a high level where you actually really identify quite a level of risk then as well. Yeah, it's po it's powerful, the, the romantic comedy link. That is really powerful because I've never, ever questioned those behaviours. And you're right, they have become so normalised that I guess it, becomes easy then to for victims of stalking to like gaslight yourself you know into thinking this is a good thing completely yeah so I think it was a, it's a brilliant way to reach people yeah and that's that's the primary aim behind it is wanting to put that video out there mm. so that people who are experiencing those things can start to identify it as stalking and that they know then that that yeah. is something that they can report that they can get support for um, and that it isn't something they just have to live with yeah. um, and if it is something that's making them fearful then there are options for them um, and they can report it to the police they can get support from um, stalking advocates or other victim services and mm. and be given you know wraparound support to make sure that you know that can be dealt with and they don't have to just live with that behavior mm. touching on the on reporting it to the police and stalking advocates can you explain sort of what the I think I think listening to this, having had my own experience with stalking, ringing the police for me was like, please don't, because my mum did it on my behalf, like, please don't do this. Like, please, it's embarrassing. I don't want it. Like, please, it's too dramatic. Mm. Don't do this. What would you say to anybody who feels like that about what, the, what happens when you go to the police? Can you kind of 
explain or um, reassure anyone listening that the police do take it seriously and if so how they do that? Yeah I mean certainly I I think um, as times moved forward as well the the police have a much better understanding of stalking. I think in previous years perhaps the response wouldn't have been quite as positive because actually from a policing perspective identifying those behaviours as being stalking was also something that they found quite difficult when it was reported and sometimes a victim might have to almost spell it out and if they don't know that they're being stalked it's quite difficult for them to articulate like that to make the police understand Mm. but most certainly there has been a a real shift I think in them taking it seriously and being able to identify that behaviour and and for the most part um, they will they will listen to a victim they will take that seriously Um, and certainly within Gloucestershire um, we've very much focused on training police officers to help them identify stalking behaviour let them know that the impact that it has on victims so they understand how they can communicate with them appropriately um, so they truly understand the risk and I think Mm. the key thing as well that that we try and get across is that they don't view incidents in isolation because again if you if you take an incident in isolation it might just Mm. be that you only look at somebody leaving somebody flowers and just looking at it through that lens it doesn't seem that problematic but once you see that pattern of behavior you then start to identify the risk so that's certainly been the focus of the training that we've done within Gloucestershire super important yeah it's really really important and I know one of the things that um one of the people that delivers the training um from a police perspective, they often say, you know, please make sure that you you look at the forest and not the tree when you're looking at yeah. incidents because mm. you really need to understand the, the, the complexity behind it and it isn't just an isolated incident. It's very much a pattern of behaviour. And again, within Gloucestershire, we do have our own stalking advocacy service um, that's commissioned mm. by the Police and Crime Commissioner's Office, um, which is not um, usual for each individual area in the country. So certainly within Gloucestershire, we're really trying to push um, the stalking agenda and make sure that victims feel that they can come forward and that we can respond robustly to it. There's an acronym that is used to identify stalking. Can you explain that to us, please? Yes. So it's it's to try and um, make it as simple and straightforward as possible. So it's not just something that we put forward for the public, but also for police officers themselves. So we really focus on saying that stalking is identified through um, through thinking of four. So thinking that the behaviour is fixated, obsessed, unwanted, repeated. So right. just to kind of keep that four in mind. And that's one of the things that I say to a lot of the police officers if I deliver training is actually if they go away and forget a, you know, a bulk of what I may have said to them, if they just remember and keep that in mind, that yeah. will help them identify stalking. You know, just thinking of that it's fixated behaviour, it's obsessive yeah. behaviour and it's unwanted by the victim and it's repeated. So again, acknowledging that pattern of behaviour. Is that applicable to the victim as well if they're struggling to identify whether or not it's stalking? Yes, most yeah. definitely. I think it's quite a helpful thing for them to keep in mm. mind as well. And I think especially once they've acknowledge that behaviour is unwanted and it just continues to happen despite the fact that they've asked somebody to leave them alone. Yeah, um, I think it's really important that they keep that in mind to help them identify it, definitely. Yeah. In terms of contacting the police, if somebody is listening who wants to contact the police either for themselves or for somebody that they love, how would you recommend going about that? Is it as simple as 999 or yeah most definitely so obviously 999 if it's an emergency um and 101 for mm. for non-emergency mm. um a lot of police forces also have online reporting mechanisms now so if somebody doesn't feel comfortable picking up the phone they can quite often um, report online um you know you can as simple as you know, walk into a police station and and ask to speak to an officer and report it there and then as well. So it it, it can be in in any way that that you have any contact. I mean, even if you see a police officer in the street, you can Mm. approach them. And if you ring 101, does that take you to your regional... 
police? Yes, it does. Yeah. Okay. It will always take you through to your local area. Yeah. yeah. The Gloucestershire Police Force has a stalking hub. Can you explain what that is, please? Yeah, of course. So um, the, the stalking hub essentially was established to try to support police officers in investigating stalking crimes more robustly. Mm. Um, so we have um, a fantastic coordinator um, who, who leads um, that 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 hub. Um, we also have a tactical lead um, from within the police um, and they work really closely alongside the stalking advocacy service as well. Um, so what they're essentially looking at is all of the cases of stalking that come in that are high risk um, and then they are looking to put really robust investigation plans in place. So they're helping officers who perhaps aren't as um, familiar with investigating stalking cases and perhaps need a little bit of guidance and support, especially if they're quite new officers that haven't been exposed to some of these things very much before. Um, and they will work with them um, to not only then safeguard the victim and put things in place to make the victim feel safer, but yeah. to really make sure that it's being investigated properly. Um, and one of the things that that hub will also do is just allow officers, no matter the risk level, to just come and ask for some advice and guidance. Um, yeah. Members of that team are also trained um, in a specialist risk assessment tool called the Stalking Risk Profile. Um, so they will also be able to do a more enhanced risk assessment as well, just to truly understand the risk that, that's potentially posed to the victim and also understand the behaviour of the offender and try and tackle that um, and challenge it. Um, one of the things that's recently been introduced within the hub as well is to have legal services sit in on all of the meetings um, to make sure that we promote the application of stalking protection orders um, as much as possible. So that's been quite a recent addition just to try and make sure that we are applying for as many of those orders as possible to protect victims. We are going to talk about this in a, in a, in a minute with our next guest, but stalking as a crime is quite newly recognised, is that right? It is, yes. Um, yeah. No nice way of asking this. But like, I, I suppose if you're being stalked or you know somebody that is, that has to, um, that is aware that they are maybe being the victim of a crime, I suppose evidence is quite important. Would Is it kind of advised or recommended that people keep hold of certain things in order to best pursue it legally yeah definitely so you know if victims are experiencing that repeated contact repeated behavior to keep a bit of an instant diary is always really helpful mm. um just to record any contact um if you receive any unwanted gifts to keep those gifts but if those gifts happen to be perishable um so if they are flowers or food perhaps kind of take a photograph and then log the time and date that that was received so all of those sorts of things And if you have kind of messages that are being sent to keep hold of those messages um particularly through whatsapp i would always suggest that somebody also screenshot them mm. um, because obviously the sender yeah. can delete those messages and then you could lose that evidence yeah. as well so mm. you know it, you, there are things that a victim can do just to keep a log of all of that contact so actually when they do decide to report it to the police they've got a kind of log of exactly what's been happening so that there is an evidence trail. Has there been, I mean this is a fantastic campaign and I'm wondering is there a particular reason for it to come to the forefront now has stalking increased at all or um i think the primary aim is is rather than acknowledging that perhaps stalking's increased it's acknowledging that it's it remains an underreported crime um, yeah. and that we know that there are more victims than we know about mm. um so we want to encourage people to come forward and and perhaps like, like we said already to kind of identify that what they're experiencing is stalking um and feel confident that they can report it or know where to go to seek help because we know that you know, as I say, there's there's so much more stalking happening um, than we currently know about and we need to know about it in order to help more people. And that's because of the way that we casually talk about romance. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's such like a genius idea for a campaign because it kind of tears up the whole premise by which yes. we view 
love, which is actually nuts or like yeah. Yeah, romantic endeavours. And Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, you know, it's it's when it's unwanted, you know, as I say, there will be times when, of course, it's okay to send someone flowers because yeah. they gratefully are received. Um, and if somebody wants that attention, then that behaviour is okay. But the mm. minute that somebody says no, please stop. That that doesn't mean try harder. That means please stop. Yeah. And I think that's the key. And I think it's like what Maddie said as well is about trusting your gut. If you yes. if you think something's wrong, something probably is yes, wrong. Definitely. And trust yourself and advocate for yourself. Definitely, definitely. Always trust your gut. Yeah. It, I'm the same as you. I feel like I've got like 10 rom-coms flashing through <laughs> yeah. my mind of people turning up at the workplace. Yeah, I can see them all sitting they on always, the hood of a car. <laughs> they always turn up to the workplace. Bradley Cooper did it in The Star Is Born. I can see it. Yes. Like waiting for her at the end yeah. of the show, just waiting yeah. for her to finish work. It's a bit much. It is, Actually, isn't Bradley? it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, re- it's weird, yeah. isn't it? You'll never watch it, a film the same way. No. <laughs> yeah, no. I bet. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> really interesting. Really interesting. It's it's such an amazing campaign. Thank you so yeah. much for coming. To Thank talk you. Us about Thanks it. for having us. And next up, we are speaking to Sarah Louise, who is the head of operations at the Susie Lamplew Trust, which is the UK's leading stalking authority. Hi, Sarah Louise. Thank you so much for joining us today. You are head of operations at the Susie Lamplew Trust. Can you explain what the trust is for us, please? Yes. So the Susie Lamplew Trust um, started as a personal safety charity after the disappearance of Susie Lamplew Mm. back in the 80s. Um, It's believed that Susie was stalked prior to her going missing. She's never been found. And now um, the charity does an awful lot of uh, different things including the operations side, which um, is my bit. Mm. Uh, We have the National Stalking Helpline and we also have a range of stalking advocacy services. We also um, have the coordination responsibility for the Stalking Threat Assessment Centre, which is the Met Police's response to stalking. Um, But we're also very much involved in a range of different campaigns, not just about stalking, also in relation to harassment and online safety and women in the nighttime economy. So lots of work going on really um, in relation to personal safety for people in everyday life, as well as uh, the more focused work on harassment and stalking. Having listened to Maddie's story and Mm. then seeing the work of Gloucestershire Police, it sounds like she got a really good outcome for what was a horrible situation. But, you know, we see time and time again that many of these crimes, particularly ones that affect women, often don't get the result, I suppose for lack of a better word, in court. Um, do you feel like what happened What happened to Maddie in terms of him getting a three-year sentence and then the restraining order is standard or was that very good? So, as you said, generally uh, there is a lack of outcome in stalking cases. Um, 2021, 2022, there was 0.01% of cases actually got a conviction at the end. And that's from the point of reporting. So there could be many, many fall downs along the way. Often it actually falls down before we even get to a point of charging. That one first conversation with either police or or social care or somebody that they've reached out to um, can be enough to put a victim off from saying anything else or doing anything more about it. And that goes right through to the difficulties um, that we heard in relation to the gathering of evidence proving the impact on the victim, which is required in in terms of stalking law. Um, So there are lots of different points at which you can fall down, really. We do a lot of training with police forces, but also with um, CPS and magistrates to try and help with some of the understanding of stalking and the way that it changes people's lives. But 
there are lots of different points where it can fall down that can stop um, cases getting to the point that Maddie's got to. It sounds like she did have a good response. It sounds like the police were great. It also really helps that she had a stalking advocate. Mm. Across the country, there are actually very few areas that have stalking advocates, so it's great that Gloucestershire Police or Gloucestershire PCC are funding that. Uh, That completely changes the outcome. Um, We produced a report um, in 2022 about the difference that an advocate can make in a case, and we know that statistically it can shift huge, usually in terms of numbers, when we talk about um, having the advocate involved We also, as a trust, deliver things like stalking protection order training to forces. So having all of that knowledge um, in terms of what we want a case to look like and how we can get through those processes can be really helpful for the professionals. Um, And that would be the same for other stalking advocacy services. So having somebody that's um, in place to support the victim, but also challenge where decisions might not be going in the direction we'd expect them to see, could have made a complete difference in Maddie's case. Having that advocate can be really vital. For victims of stalking, if they want to build the best possible case against their stalker, what's the best way to go about it and what's your advice on that? Yeah, so we need to be um, gathering evidence, um, which um, we've already heard a little bit about in terms of, you know, not deleting things, not blocking that mm. stalker, um, keeping screenshots, pictures, Um, There's a downloadable uh, log from our website that talks you through the recording of when an incident happened, what that was, but also the impact it had on you. And that can be really vital if we're talking about getting some of the higher charges in a case because you have to prove the impact on a victim of the of the behaviours. Can I ask about that? Because I'm sure I'm sure it's really important. And who am I to question it? But it does seem tough on a victim. Really tough. That they then have to kind of again it's this pressure on women to always be the perfect victim absolutely of course and if you have an advocate involved that's you know it can be really helpful with these things if you're not in an area with a stalking advocate where a police force doesn't have the resources or it just simply doesn't exist are there other things are there other places that people can turn to absolutely so um we have the national stalking helpline we cover the whole of the uk we also have a national advocacy service, uh, so we can support victims in any area across the whole of the UK. There are other stalking charities as well that will be doing similar work. There are specific stalking charities, for example, in Scotland, and there are others that cover other parts as well. So there is always um, somebody that can support. But of course, um, as you said, sometimes that it's the onus on the victim to seek out that support. Mm. Um, we do receive referrals from police forces or other professionals, uh, for example, probation officers or social workers around the country, sometimes id for service as well. So domestic abuse services that are involved in cases that have escalated to stalking will refer into national advocacy services where there are not Uh, local provision, which will mean that a victim can get support. Some of the local um, services also have um, either um, quite a specific remit. So some stalking advocacy services, for example, only support in relation to domestic abuse cases. And of course, there are stalking cases that are not your ex-partner. Your ex-partner is your most common, most likely stalker. Uh, but there are lots of other different types of stalker as well. And also some specific um, stalking services only support women, who of course are by far the most likely victim, but we do see male victims as well. So um, a national advocacy service can support in those instances. Um, There's also a service, um, again, on our website called uh, an Am I Being Stalked tool, and it can help you uh, by answering multiple choice questions 
come to a conclusion as to whether this is stalking or not. Sometimes you might, um, it might be stalking, it could be harassment, it could be neighbour abuse. We have people that use that tool um, almost when they're trying to feel what it is, like they know it's not okay, but at this point they don't necessarily think maybe calling a helpline is the right thing to do. They're not ready to report to the police, for example. So that tool can be really useful to just help people decide if this is okay or not. Like Maddie explained the instinct with the stalker, I imagine the instinct would be to block them and to deny them access to your life, physically just cut them cut them loose, you know. And she explained that that is that can be really antagonistic for them. Can you can you just uh, give us a bit more detail on that? Because I was really surprised to hear that. Yeah, so I guess what we heard and what Maddie didn't say, but I was saying in the background as I was listening, was that Maddie was risk assessing as she was going. So she yeah. was risk assessing the situation and mitigating. She was pacifying the perpetrator when it was necessary because that was the best way to, for her to keep him calm. And we see mm. that a lot in domestic abuse cases, coercive control cases, but also in stalking cases. Um, so Maddie would have instinctively known blocking him was not going to work. But for family and friends and other professionals who haven't had specific training, yeah. that can often be the first port of advice. And that can be... Um, it can come from a good place. Mm. So, of course, if you if you're this is your you know child or daughter or your your friend or, or your sister that's experiencing this, of course you want them to stop. And so it would be quite normal um, advice to give, I think. Um, in terms of um, that, actually escalating the behaviour, if you think that a stalker is working from a point of obsession, if they actually receive a block, it it can just trigger for them to need to find another avenue. So it could be that actually um, if if you allow for that, um, the text messages to keep coming in or the emails to keep coming in, don't ever respond to them, but but at least you know to some extent what what those thought processes might be. For example, sometimes if you have blocked someone but actually they've tried to send you a th- say send you a threat or they've said I'm going to be here today or I'm coming to your house it's safer for the victim to know that that's the intent um so blocking actually would remove you from knowing those things that you might need to protect yourself from mm. also of course from an evidence point of view it's really important that you're able to show the police that so if you say I blocked them so I don't know if I'm receiving messages anymore that's quite different to you saying I've received 10 text messages in the last two days for example Mm, Um, of course it's not what we want for someone for someone forever but during that phase where you're trying to uh, figure out what we're doing how we're risk assessing here um, blocking can escalate the behavior and we, we know of cases where um, you know, we might have closed down all of those avenues. And and so the last resort is that they're going to come to your door because they can no longer get that email through or that text through or that, that phone call yeah. through. So we wouldn't want for anyone to inadvertently escalate that behaviour. It's such a delicate situation, isn't it? And if I'm wondering if we think about the psychology behind stalking, behind obsession, how do how does it stop? How do we stop that? I mean, is, is prison effective? Is... A punishment like that effective? How is like what's the most effective way to stop it? So early intervention is key, um, and the earlier we can get some form of intervention into a situation like this, mm. um, the better chance we have of stopping it at an earlier point. Um, which is why multi-agency working is really important. We heard that Gloucestershire Police have um, a hub and a, a clinic set up 
Um, I mentioned um, the MACIP, so a multi-agency stalking intervention programme, where we have multiple professionals um, involved in that. Some stalking perpetrators do require mental health intervention, um, but not all. And again, um, if we can get some form of intervention in terms of restriction on their behaviour, that can be really useful at an early point. So we heard that Maddie had bail conditions. We would actually always want for a stalking protection order to be applied for. That can be applied for a long time before we get to a point of making a charging decision. And um, with stalking protection orders, um, there are not just restrictive requirements, for example, not to contact, not to go to the address, but also there can be positive requirements added to that. So for example, you must hand over your passwords to social media to the police or you must engage in certain activity such as meeting with a health professional. So that can be really positive in terms of being uh, able to manage the situation from a proactive point of view um, and trying to get, you know, regardless of how we're stopping this stalker, even if that is by providing support um, it means that we're able to intervene and stop the behaviour earlier. You said there, and um, it's something we talked about before, that it's not always mental health. For me, I always assumed, probably because it helped me think, that the person who did it to me clearly had something mentally wrong with them. And I, I still believe that because I, just, I, I think it's very odd behaviour. I don't think mentally well people do that. But is that something societally, you know, we've talked about the campaign um, with the Gloucestershire Police where it is this idea that the romantic comedy is kind of teaching women what and men I suppose kind of what romance looks like do you believe that it is like a societal thing where we kind of allow stalking to be normalized or is it more likely that there is something mentally perhaps just off with some people that it ends up like that all of those things (laughs) so in some uh, cases I mean some um types of stalker you will see a higher prevalence of mental health concern but not always Um, and sometimes um, even if there is some element of mental health concern it can be relatively low level not necessarily anything that is diagnosable or or treatable. Mm. Um, In terms of society we absolutely do have a narrative that we need to try and change about that and that probably goes wider than stalking and more into kind of the whole violence against women and girls agenda, really. Um, But yes, absolutely, there is an element of, you know, the response that people are often given to stalking. We heard that Maddie, for example, had flowers. I know of uh, victims that have um, received um, money in their bank. I know of victims that have had the ice scraped off their car every morning with a coffee and their name. All of these things that police initial response might be, that sounds lovely, I'd want a stalker um, (laughs) too. And again, if you're telling your friends or your family or your neighbour, it can be very difficult for for people to not romanticise that because, Mm. you know, we're almost taught that those things are very nice. Um, But particularly with um, the use of technology, we heard about Maddie's stalker, for example, logging into her Netflix account and um, potentially, you know, finding her on social media, pretending to be other people. We also have almost a, a, a developing undercurrent of um, kind of tracking as well. So if you think about some of the apps that are very widely used, like Snapchat, we can see where our friends are. We're mm. almost normalising kind of that tracing element, which is a new thing for stalking. Uh, not a new thing for stalking that you might be trying to track your uh, mm. victim, but a new thing in 
but tool, you can do it by yeah, yes, yeah. It, yeah, just more tools in your armory, really. And with the younger generation, particularly, that's almost become normalised. You might be tracked by your parent when you're out at the park. So then, actually, when your first boyfriend says, "Let me have your location friends, settings," yeah. we're yeah. almost training people to believe that's okay. Mm. Whereas, you know, twenty years ago. Somebody wants to track your whereabouts, we wouldn't have thought that was very mm. normal. So my situation happened almost entirely online. I was approached online and they were caught via online tracking. The police were able to track the IP address. So obviously it's a bad thing because it happened online, but it's a, it's a good thing that the technology is there, that it was easier to catch this person. But I wonder for, and I really don't like, and it was something that I really struggled with at the time, this kind of like victim blaming, like, well, you shouldn't be doing this and you should have done this and you could have protected yourself better and you were naive and whatever. But unfortunately, that's the world we live in. We do have to protect ourselves. So I suppose not for anybody listening who is experiencing sort of this kind of stalking that Maddie described, but is there stuff that we should be doing just as standard practice to protect ourselves against the, these sorts of behaviours? I mean, I guess, like you've just said, we wouldn't necessarily want for anyone to have to change their behaviour because they might be stalked or they might be a victim of crime. But it's possibly uh, useful for us all to be aware of our online presence. Mm. Um, obviously, there's lots of work happening currently with the online safety bill. And we have um, been involved in some of the campaigning to try and have um, social media platforms um, safe by default, for example. So at the moment, if you create a profile, it will automatically set it as public unless you change your settings to make it private. We'd like for tech companies to turn that around so it's private unless you choose to share it. Um, so there's a much bigger picture, I think. Um, and um, I guess it's important before we sign up to... Um, new apps or social media um, or even just, you know, shopping forums that we're kind of just doing a little, a bit of understanding to know what we're signing ourselves up for and what that could mean. Just Googling yourself every now and then uh, could be really useful um, in order to, to see what you can find about yourself. If anybody is listening, that is a friend or a family of anybody experiencing stalking or anything like it in any capacity, can we ask what the advice would be for them? Absolutely. So I guess, first of all, you need to keep the conversation going. It can be really easy to give advice, um, such as, uh, you know, blocking or staying away, those things that we've discussed. But it can also um, be quite dismissive if, for example, um, you question maybe the victim's response rather than the perpetrator's behaviour. So, for example, um, it would be easy for a friend or family member to say, but you keep replying to them or, you know, but you've spoken to him again. Um, why? And, and those things can, can very much add to that feeling of guilt and shame that you described, kind of that embarrassment. So I guess it's really important that, particularly in cases where we know that that stalker actually is an ex-partner or somebody who has some emotional tie to that victim, that rather than trying to understand or rationalise, we're just listening and there in case there is an emergency. We also heard from Maddie that at one point she had set up a code word with her friend to say, um, you know, just tell me that you need me to buy a chocolate bar. Having something like that or a way in um, if you need an emergency response from somebody else can be really useful. Um, but if you, again, or, or a family or, or friend, then absolutely go and 
seek out the advice. There's lots of um, professional advice available. Um, anyone could contact the National Stalking Helpline. They can call and ask for advice, something that they could um, maybe tell their friends or, or family about so that they know that there is help available. Um, there's lots of information online about um, the likely police response as well. So just kind of being open, um, being supportive. And if possible, you know, helping to collate some of that information for you. So you said that, um, you know, if you're in a situation, it can be quite difficult for you to even consider kind of keeping a log or, or thinking about that. But if you're a family or friend, it might be really worth you just saving all of the messages that say, you know, he called me again today or she texts me again today um, for future reference as well. Thank you so much. That's super valuable information and we really appreciate you coming on. All right. No Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Should I delete that? It's part of the ACAS Creator Network.